Hello and welcome to Movie Fixers, the show where we don't just critique movies, but talk about how they could be, gee, I don't know, just a little better. I'm your host, Tony, and with me as always is the king of the kaiju, the Jägermeister extraordinaire, and the most compatible drift partner for this podcast. Matt Goad, that's me. This is my favorite one yet. You keep getting better and better at these. Uh-oh. Eventually, this whole podcast is just going to be you coming up with like fun descriptions of me based on movies. We'll do a smash cut one day. Maybe when we reach our 100th episode. I love a good smash cut. How far are we from our 100th episode? Uh, Pretty far. <laughs> <laughs> we are not there yet. That, that's the technical count. So, Matt, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, I was telling you before the, we were rolling that I'm over winter, but you know it's okay. Winter will eventually leave, and the sun will come back out. That's that's what the song says. The sun will come out, not tomorrow or next week, possibly next month. I don't know. I'm getting sad again. All right, let's talk about something else. <laughs> yes, let's talk about this uh, this new IP that that we sent Jeff at, Jess after to look at. We haven't actually introduced what this is, though. I'm sure it'll be in the title, so everybody knows what they're getting into. Absolutely. Yeah. We uh, we sent Jess out to look at a property for us, and I think she came back with a really good synopsis. So let's get into that right now. Let's do it. Welcome, guys, to this beast of a property. Right away, I wanted to find some terms. Kaiju, it means giant beast. And Jaeger, that means hunter. Keep that in mind as we dive deep into this world for a 30-minute exposition dump. So there's a slew of backstory and layers of chapters in the history of Pacific Rim. First of all, Pacific Rim is something called The Breach, a portal to another dimension under the Pacific Ocean that just sort of leaks out kaiju, those monsters that I mentioned, which all have various abilities and side effects, like poisoned blood that taints a water system. They're gigantic. They destroy everything, mainly taking out major cities on the coastlines. The world's answer to a giant beast problem? Giant robots! The Jaeger! In order to operate such a gigantic robot, two pilots are necessary to spread the neural load because they do all this with a physical neural interface thing. That means the pilots are going through the actual motions while thinking about it at the robot as well, I'm, I think? I'm not sure. Anyway, they have to be so in sync with each other's brains that most of the time the pilots are in some way related, and this whole neural process is called the drift. So the Jaegers start to win against the giant monsters, and people feel safe enough to turn kaijus and Jaegers into toys and other entertainment. Enter Cocky Danger Boy and his bro. They pilot a Jaeger called Gypsy Danger. On a mission, they ignore orders and take on a kaiju, and they lose. It rips them to shreds and kills Big Bro. And then Jaegers start losing, and building a giant wall seems like the best defense. Okay, so we've moved on from Jaegers, and we're building walls. Um, Cocky Danger Boy ain't so cocky anymore, and he's working on one of the walls. By the way, his real name is Raleigh, like like Raleigh, North Carolina, but people call him Rally for some reason. It I don't understand, and it makes my brain hurt, but I'm just going to call him Vanilla Bro, because he's pretty forgettable, and I, yeah. Oh, wait, and then another wall gets taken out, so now walls are a bad idea, and the Jaegers are back in action now. Guy in charge, Idris Elba, comes after Vanilla Bro because they're in desperate need of pilots for these old Jaegers, because all this time has passed, and they've gone through all these different chapters. Vanilla Bro has psych issues because, you know, he was kind of neurally connected to his brother when his brother died, and he doesn't really want anyone else in his head. But for whatever reason, he accepts the pilot position. And then we get into a flood of introductions. 
Mako Mori, the scientist, two of them, and in Bloodsport style, the various international pilots of the other Jaegers. And then there's the goal. Close the breach once and for all. So instead of just constantly fighting these monsters that are coming through, uh, because they're coming through faster and faster, they decide they want to close off where they're coming from. After a bunch of pilot posturing and a little hint of Vengeance backstory, Mako Mori finally becomes Vanilla Bro's co-pilot. Now, Mako Mori is awesome. She's this cute little Asian chick, love her to death, uh, and, and they are drift compatible, apparently. Cut to J.J. Abrams' science guy. It's Charlie Day, but he so looks like J.J. Abrams. Uh, and he mind melds with a kaiju, you know, he drifts with one, and finds out that the kaiju are colonizers looking to retake Earth because they once lived here, and now they can come back because we've destroyed the environment and made it something they can live in again. Um, okay, so in charge, Idris Elba loves the intel and wants more. The need for more info means a new goal for J.J. Abrams' science guy. Get a fresh kaiju brain. And it's revealed that a kaiju killed Mako's family. There's more pilot posturing, and then we find out Idris Elba was the pilot who saved Mako Mori when she was little. And then some action! Teams are sent out to handle a double event, or basically two humongous kaijus. The Asians bite it pretty quickly, and the Russians are gone, wiped out. The Australians try to beat it when we find out that the scientists who drifted with the kaiju probably sent them info about us as well, because that's how the drift works. It goes both ways. So now the kaiju are on the warpath, trying to come after us, because they know we're coming after them. The Australians are losing when Vanilla Bro and Mako are dropped in gypsy danger. They destroy one of them, and they go after the one that's been destroying Hong Kong, which happens to be looking for the J.J. Abrams scientist guy that drifted with them. Then, boom! Destroyed! And scientist guy gets the brain he needs to drift with the kaiju again, when we find out that the kaiju just killed in Hong Kong is pregnant, and baby comes out to play, but immediately dies. So, the big plan is to drop a nuke into the breach and close it. But in the battle, one of the Australians was injured. Idris Elba decides to mount up for one last ride because he's dying, and after an Independence Day-like speech, the Jaegers go for the breach. The scientists drift with the new kaiju brain, then rush to tell the Jaegers that they can't go into the breach and drop the bomb without riding a kaiju through, because the breach reads kaiju DNA to open. The biggest mamajama kaiju comes through and fighting commences, so we've got three kaiju against two Jaegers. When the nuclear bomb gets jammed on the Australian Jaeger, it sacrifices itself to destroy all the kaijus protecting the breach. Gypsy Danger uses the body of a dead kaiju to get into the breach. And of course, Gypsy Danger is one of the oldest Jaeger models, so it has a nuclear core. That core is set to explode in the alien homeland only after Vanilla Bro has ejected and gotten out of there. Oh, and he heroically sent Makomori back through before doing all of that. The breach is closed, and everything is right with the world, as our heroes Vanilla Bro and Makomori share a romantic moment. I'm not sure what to say about this particular property. It has a ton of potential in the world it's built and the sheer amount of awesome giant monster versus giant robot action it can provide, but it suffers from seriously shallow character development and clunky writing. I feel like you guys are essentially going to have to take this property, really study the blueprints, you know, really, really dig into where this movie came from as a history of the genre, maybe, or something like that, and then maybe take some time repairing the essential areas of the property. Then maybe you can renovate a little, you know, really put your own spin on it, and then have fun with the interior design. You guys are going to do awesome, spiffing this thing up, shiny and new, making sure it's shored up in a way that people would really feel comfortable living in it, living in that world for showing after showing after showing, I'm sure. Good luck, guys. This is Jessa Ducci, hoping you enjoy Pacific Rim.
oh man, no pressure, right? It's it's all <laughs> up to us. Right. It feels like an end of the world kind of dilemma, huh? <laughs> oh god. I hope so. Okay. Wow. Well, so Tony, what were your thoughts on Pacific Rim? Well, sir, I don't like it. <laughs> no, uh, but well, seriously, I, I, uh, I, I, I wanted to like it. It's it's got all all the makings of a movie I want. You got big robots fighting big monsters. I don't see how you can mess that up, and yet I feel like they they did in a lot of different ways. They let it fall short. How about you? What'd you think? Um, I remember seeing this in theaters back in the day when it first came out, and I was kind of skeptical, but like you, I saw giant robots fighting giant monsters and thought, this is going to be fun, and they can't really screw this up, right? Um, I also went in knowing that it was Guillermo del Toro, who's done quite a few other amazing movies. In fact, just not that long ago, won an Academy Award for The Shape of Water, which is a movie that both of us really enjoyed quite a bit. Um, he He's done monster movies before, too. Like, he did Pan's Labyrinth. Um, he did the original Hellboy movies. You know, he's got a decent track record, Guillermo del Toro. He also worked, a lot of people don't know this, but he worked extensively on the Hobbit movies before bowing out and letting Peter Jackson take those back over. So I was really excited to see this movie back in the day, and I just remember feeling kind of let down in the end. There was a lot of stuff that I kind of thought was going to happen and didn't happen in the movie, and... I, I came out of it not particularly liking any one character, and I like to... You know, everybody likes to have a character that they at least maybe not identify with, but at least just kind of relate to and root for. So I don't know. I I didn't hate the movie. I just I'm with you. I didn't like it. And I think we should talk about why and how we think it could have been better. Agreed. Um, before we do that, though, I always like to, to keep a little bit of positive in with the negative. Is there anything that you took away from this movie that you liked that you would keep? Oh, for sure. For sure. I think there was a lot to like about this movie. I think a lot of the Jaeger designs were really cool. Some of the monster designs were pretty cool, even though I think, you know, we both agreed that it was a little hard to keep up with them sometimes. So a a slight change of the monsters would have been a nice way to differentiate them and keep track of them on screen. It's that same problem that we have with some of the Transformers movies. There's just literally too many moving parts to understand where who is what and where they are on the screen um but in general i like the designs some of the casting choices i really liked in this movie i love idris elba um he's playing i mean everyone in this movie is playing a very um what's the word i'm looking for they're they're playing like kind of a cliche they're playing they're an archetype character yeah and, you know, he does a great job playing that, you know, as Jess said, that, you know, man in charge, the gruff man in charge. And I like, even though she's underutilized quite a bit, I really like the actress that plays Mako Mori. Um, I think Charlie Day, as the scientist that, that she re- mentioned that looks like J.J. Abrams, has his moments. There are times when I didn't like him, but there are times when he totally kills it. Um, his partner in crime in the movie, who plays like the other scientist character that we know from Torchwood. I can't remember his name right now, but I liked him and his role. Like he, he was very much in that role. Yeah. There's a lot of production design that I really liked in the movie in general. So I I think aesthetically, this movie definitely had a lot going on that was good. Oh, the Ron Perlman character is like, 
again, totally underutilized ultimately, but his character design, the way they did his hair and accessories and costume and just that you could tell they put a lot of love into the design of this movie and that's that's where they definitely put all their energy um what about you what 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 if anything did you really like like in this movie well i definitely agree with you the design of the movie was there and that's part of what makes it so frustrating because they had the look but uh, other things I really enjoyed, uh, I appreciated that they gave us a definition of kaiju and Jaeger at the beginning of the film for those that maybe don't follow Japanese like anime and manga as as religiously as others. And um, specifically getting into that design, the Jaegers, the robots, they have a cockpit that... I think the design of was very clever and you definitely see the love put into that. I, I, I'll get on to why I think they didn't use it correctly when we talk about what didn't work, but the, I have to give props to the design. That cockpit design was extremely believable, extremely clever. And overall, just the practical balance of CGI to practical effects was, was really good. And I'm hoping that other movies at least like kind of go back to that route. Cause we, we've always said we love CGI. There's nothing wrong with it, but it needs to be balanced with practical effects still. And finally, and I don't think you said this one, so I'm going to, I liked uh, specifically the character Mako. I liked her so much. I think she should have been the main character. She had the most interesting story. Right. I agree. I, I, I mentioned, I liked the actress a lot, but I, I do agree with you. The character as well. Um, while, super not like used enough in the movie was a good character. Um, you're, you're, and another thing I think you're totally right about is that cockpit that they designed is so cool. And part of why it's so cool is like you said, it's a practical cockpit. They built it in the real world with real materials. And it feels like that. It doesn't feel like, you know, I love the, the Marvel movies and I don't want to knock them right now, but like sometimes you can definitely tell where, you know, this part of the costume and the set is a real thing. And the rest of it is a green screen CGI expansion element. Mm -hmm. And they didn't do that in the cockpit here. It, it, it looked like a set you can walk onto and, you know, it, it, it reawakens that, that like the little boy in you that wants to just like hang out and play on that set and be in the cockpit. And, you know, that's, that's the sign of a good, of a good effect is it if it inspires that in you absolutely okay so i think we've put it off long enough what what fell flat for you what didn't work <laughs> oh man um uh, quite a few things but broad strokes uh our main character who jess refers to as both cocky danger boy and vanilla bro and raleigh rally uh He's just, he's the actor. I, I don't know. I don't know where I know we just did an episode on where the buck stops, but I don't know where the acting decisions and the writing decisions like come into play here, but that our main character is so dull and uninspired. And I, he, you, you, you hang a whole movie on a main character usually. And in this case, he's just, he's nothing interesting. You know, he we have the whole scene at the beginning with his brother dying, and it's, I guess it's sort of sad, but it goes by so quickly, and then there's no moment of, like, grieving, really. It just, 
uh, he, all of a sudden he's left the program and he's working on the stupid wall and I don't know the, the main character a number one grievance uh, he was a big problem I, I, I would agree I, I, if I can touch on that just a second because yeah. you asked a good question I this is one of those times where I'm gonna say I think it's the performance I think the actor and I don't know much about him I know he's in a little bit of TV his name's uh, Charlie Hunnam mm-hmm. I think he does he's in uh, the motorcycle thing what was that called Oh, uh, oh, what was that show on AMC? Anarchy was... something? Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy. There we go. Okay. That's his like breakout. Never watched that show. So if you're a fan of it, I think my brother is. So apologies if you're listening. I didn't care for this actor's performance at all. I know the dialogue wasn't like stellar, but it was It was at least solid. It, or it was at least it got the point across, but it felt like he was just reading off the script. He, yeah. there was, there was no emotion. There was no acting. I, I think that's why we can call him vanilla bro and it sticks. He, he just, he delivered the words. It could have been. Yeah. Anybody. And you make a good point. The dialogue in this movie is not very good, but you put the, put that subpar kind of mediocre dialogue in the hands of like Idris Elba, who's a very, very good actor. He makes it palatable. You know, his his character is not terribly nuanced either. Like we said, he's he's kind of a very archetype archa, archetypal character, but he he puts his own spin on it. He puts his Idris Elba into it. Definitely. Um, what else? What else uh, fell apart for you besides the the main actor, which is a big part. <laughs> um, I know we're going to talk more about this in a minute, but I just want to say the story structure in general didn't work for me. It uh the first like 20 minutes of the movie is this sort of expository world building recap of events that have happened over. Is it like 20 years? I can't remember how wide is the the time gap in that first. I think the first gap is seven years. And then the second gap is five years, which audience, if you haven't seen this movie, yes, it's that confusing. There is a seven year gap from the beginning of the movie told an exposition about what's been going on. Then you see, then you kind of, meet the actors in their heyday in the good times and five years later we pick up with the story and this is 20 minutes of this film yeah and it's so much it's just like an assault on your senses you you can't like you feel like you need to be taking notes and there the other like crazy part is some of what they're saying is actually interesting so you almost want to be like whoa 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 slow down go back what was that talk about that some more but you can't because they've already moved on to the next thing and that's kind of the weird structure of this movie is we have all this exposition in the very beginning and then it slows down immensely for like a while. And then we get back to some action eventually. And I just think there's a lot could be done with this movie by just strengthening the structure of the script. Yes, definitely. So what about you? What I mean, I'm sure I'm hitting some things that you also think. Was there anything else that that struck you as just not working in this movie? Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna get a little more specific because you're right. That intro is too long. I think that should instead of I think I clocked it at it's over. It's weirdly too long and too short at the exact same time. Right. It was a rush of world building for a movie that I don't think thought it would ever get a sequel. So I think it just <laughs> it, it just tried to cram everything. Like this was a world that was created, and they tried to cram it all into one movie and give and feed it to you in 20 minutes. And so the plot hasn't really started. And so yes, that. That is something I think I could do in five minutes and you still get all the relevant information for this film. 
So mm-hmm. that's something I'm going to try and do later on when we go to the fix. But there was just. I a- also think that this is a, an example of you could take almost that identical 20 minute opening and just move it to a little later in the film. Like after we've had a little bit of time to establish some characters and some relationships, when he goes back, when he, you know, when he comes back to the program and he's getting like reintroduced to all the Jaegers and everything, that's a great time to give him a like crash course on what's been going on. And I mean, he could even say like, I know some of these things, but that's like structurally, that's a, that's a beat that, that feels more comfortable, I think for viewers. Yes. It, it would definitely help. I think there was a lot structurally that could be improved. One of the things is we get a lot of characters. I mean, a lot of characters. And it's it's very obvious from the marketing of this movie to the movie itself that one of the things we're supposed to do is try and get in and pick our favorite Jaeger, our favorite robot. But the movie doesn't deliver anything that makes you think either the robots, the Jaegers, or their pilots or in any way interesting, which is a shame because they all look really cool. 20 minutes yeah. later, once the movie starts, we get our new our introduction to the, the time of day that it is now. And our hero is walking through what is left of the Jaeger fleet and seeing all the old Jaegers and seeing their pilots. And we've got, you know, different nationalities. We've got one that takes three people to drive because it's just that complex. And you've got like like this Chinese group that's like doing kick flips and stuff. And these Russian guys that have like bleach blonde hair and just this guy and girl that just look like massively built. And we don't get to meet any of them. They may have had names. I couldn't tell you them because even though we see them and we do see them fight once, that's it. We see them. They fight. They die. It's over. And I'm just like, no, these guys were interesting. Why Why are you still looking at the main character? He should be like the sounding board for all the cool characters. The only right. other pilots, and this is the thing, this is the other thing structurally that I thought was a horrible idea. The only other pilots you really focus on is the Australian group, one of which is kind of an old veteran, like our main character. They kind of have that mutual respect. And the other one is basically the Iceman to our main character's Maverick. And they have this, <laughs> this bromance fight-off of machismo and bravado where it's like, you're a wild card. I don't trust you. You're going to get us killed. I don't know if he says that in the movie, but it's, the dialogue is about as bland. It's, I'm just like, is this really happening right now? Like, the plot they set up is the world is getting overrun by this mo- these monsters. They've, they've got, their, their funding is getting cut because they're building this giant wall that won't keep them out. In fact, we learn it won't keep them out really quick because a monster punches through the wall, but they're still building it. They're not building more robots. The people that you meet that I just described are pretty much all that's left to defend Earth from these monsters. And this guy wants to start a fight because they got a new pilot because he's got a bit of a rocky backstory. It's like beggars can't be choosers should be the it's like priorities come yeah. on people like we don't have time for this and it's just such a, a movie that to me is bringing in more of a geek crowd you got giant robots you've got monsters you know fantasy and sci-fi coming together and they're having like a fast and the furious like bro off and i'm like what, what audience do you think is watching this movie right now i mean right. and even fast and the furious at least they do it better I mean, yeah, right. (laughs) I just, I was just like, this is just like a bad, bad Fast and the Furious moment. And that's saying something. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you're totally right. It, it, it's, it struggled with, with tone and like audience not knowing. And sometimes I wonder, I might be off base here, but sometimes I wonder if some of that is 
linked to Guillermo del Toro, who's the director and the writer of this project, um, not being a native English speaker. Oh. Like, he likes a lot of genre films. It's very clear that he likes, you know, fantasy and sci-fi and horror and all those things. But when it comes to writing, like, character dialogue, it, it I, I don't know, what sometimes what he writes ends up being very, like, first draft to me. Where it almost feels like if he'd gotten someone else to come help him with those scenes, he could have had something. But you're right. It's like, we're in the middle of this end of the world scenario where everything is dire straits and these characters are going to, and they're supposed to be like, and that's the other thing is they're not even like cadets or like new recruits. And these are like established professional characters that should have their head on straight. And he, you're right. They're resulting to this really stupid and juvenile, like bro off so quickly. I don't know. Like I said, I wonder if some of it has to do with a language barrier. I that could be. And what's funny is since most of this movie takes place off the coast of China, I would have been really happy to see this movie like dubbed or subbed. And Yeah, but that's such a hard sale sell yeah, to an American audience. I, I know, I'm just I'm wishful thinking here. Yeah, I think that'd be cool though. I when you know, that's one thing that I'm loving about Netflix right now. And I, this isn't too far off topic, I hope, but I like that they're not afraid to do like whole scenes in other languages. You know, that is so such a taboo in like American cinema. You can have bits in another language and maybe even a little bit longer if it's supposed to be like an art house film. But a big tentpole summer blockbuster like this, you, you just you can't get away with that. And it would be so cool, like you said, if you know, even the English speakers spoke English and the like, you know, Mandarin Chinese speakers spoke Mandarin and the German speakers spoke German. And it was just understood that they all understood each other. Yeah, it would it would really push that multicultural aspect of this movie. That's actually one of the cooler aspects of the movie. Yeah, because the world has changed from the world as we know it, you know, in, in our reality, the world has kind of had to come together to fight this threat. And so it's boundaries and borders have blended and technology is shared and yeah you know it's, it's cool though because they still kind of honor the differences though like it's not like they're all just one you know nation now you still have the australians and you still have the chinese and you still have the british and right we're not like, we're, we're all... not the united federation yet but we're we're like at the early stages of where something like that could be conceived right exactly so yeah, getting a bit more back on track, you you were talking about like things like the structure not working. I think it was more than just the story structure. They didn't utilize or explain things that they came up with well. And I'll give you an example. Um, they have to find a a, a co pilot or a, a you know sir pilot for Vanilla Boy, right? Because it right. takes, as Jess said, it takes two of them to take on the neural load to to drive the mech, right? The Jaeger. And so there's this scene where he's like got this kind of stick, you know, like almost quarter staff, and he's fighting, you know, each one of the Chinese uh, pilots one on one and just kind of taking them out. And all of a sudden, theoretically, in well, this scene, the idea is if they're matched equally, then they're drift compatible. Right. So, yeah, I. You just explained it, and it makes sense. But what I thought they were doing is they were just... It just for so long looks like they're just fighting. And then Mako shows up, and even though she's like Idris Elba's girl, like little girl, he doesn't want her to pilot. Dude's like, no, no, let her try if she thinks she can do it. And the whole idea is, is that they're evenly matched. 
you know, maybe he gets her on one round and then she gets him in the next round and their fighting styles are unique. And that's what they were trying to do is find that synchronicity. And I right, was like, they don't establish. No, that. they don't say that until like two thirds of their fight way into their fight. I'm like, so you're not just fighting. You're actually trying. I was like, oh, that's so clever. That's that's a really neat thing that to find compatibility, it's not, oh, this guy kicks ass, so we need to find someone else who kicks ass. It's, oh, your, your thought process, your reflexes are very similar, so therefore you might be compatible. And I thought that was a great idea. I just didn't know what I was watching the whole time. So I'm like, okay, so he can beat everyone up. Yay. He's the hero because he has to be. He's the main character. But no, it was there was so much more into that. And it wasn't like they were trying to deceive you. They just... So many times in this movie, they just feed you that information just a little too late to the point where, like, the the effect is lost. And I'm and, you know, and they do that on a practical level, too. That that beautiful rig for the pilot pilots I told you about. We get so many shots of that, but they're always wide shots. So in points when they're fighting monsters and we're getting reactions of them in the Jaeger, we're getting these wide shots and there's no close up for emotion. There's no Iron Man in the in the suit, like just on his face. And there are all these scenes where the main character is just like like because obviously Mako eventually becomes his co-pilot, even though dude Elba doesn't want her to be. But like Vanilla Boy's just like yelling commands at her at one point when they're fighting. Now do this, now do this, now do this. And I'm just like, dude, like, aren't you neurally linked? First of all, do you have to yell? It's getting tiresome. <laughs> it's just there's so much yelling in this Please movie. Please stop yelling at me. There's so I I, I I I say Idris Elba should get an award for yell acting. Most of his lines he screams. Yeah. And I'm just like there's so much yelling. But but secondly, do you have to just like talk out like yell at her everything they're about to do? It it kind of ruins it for me. I just want to. Can we go outside the cockpit and watch the robot do that? Like if you're gonna stomp on the thing's head, I just want to watch you stomp on the thing's head. I don't need you to like shout a play by play of each play. It, it it was just it was a great concept, a good set, but it was just executed so poorly. I was just like, stop, no, stop doing that. So I think that's everything other than uh, I think Ron Perlman's character was a bit much and <laughs> I, I mean yeah, yeah but also he, everything in this movie is a bit much all right all right I'll let that one go I, I will say this in in that movie so you've got the two scientists Charlie Day and you're right the other guy from Torchwood who I should remember but don't I was really kind of hoping they would hook up at the end I was totally shipping them and it didn't happen and I was very upset yeah, I'm with you there. And it it almost felt like blatant. Like it really felt like that's where that was going. Totally. I and think I think it they didn't it didn't go that way. And I, I don't want to get I don't want to like bury the lead here, but did you watched the second one. Are mm-hmm. they in are they a couple in the second one? Nope. It's uh, I'll talk on it later, but it's 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 not and I think the reason they didn't hook them up is because the plot in the second one uh one of Oh, the, wait, never mind. I remember yeah. seeing Never mind. You're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah, there's a reason. So, well, so we've identified what worked and we've identified what didn't. And well, (laughs) most of the movie (laughs) we've we've broad stroked what didn't. Let's uh, what let's get into some fixes. What do you think is the first fix for you? Easy. We're going to shorten that intro down to five minutes. I can do it. Easy. Okay. All this, all the pertinent information you need. Five minutes, not seventeen and change, or twenty minutes. So, what's this going to look like? Is this going to be kind of like the beginning of the movie Serenity? Is it going to be like a real quick, 
Like, is it is it just an omniscient narrator? Is it a character telling another character? Like, what what is the what's the framing of this five minute new fangled intro? So I haven't thought too hard on this, but I'm gonna use and it's a cliche. I, I'm not creating this, but I'm thinking we do like it opens with the kid who is Vanilla Boy as a kid seeing his first kaiju. And it attacks this city. So, okay, we go there. There's the kaiju fight, and the military shows up and takes it down. Even though we kind of hear about that, we don't see it. We see the military show up, and through much effort and a lot of ammo, they take it down. Because one of the things we learn in this movie is the kaiju get bigger as they come. So the fact that this one was so difficult, and it's literally the easiest one they'll ever see, is telling. Yeah, because they give them categories like hurricanes. Yeah. And so here we go. Let's get into a montage of of clips and let's do it reporter style. So the reporters are reporting on, you know, we fade in, we see boy, we see the wreck and first reporter one, he goes, attacks continue as the kaiju are spotted in XX and X cities. So we know they're spreading. That's information you need. There are more kaiju after the first kaiju. Little is known about their origins. We don't know anything about them. That much is pretty much true. We learn everything through the movie as they learn. And then, you know, do some transitions, more fading, you know, more reporting. And it's it's been X time and the World Coalition has begun to release its countermeasures to the Kaiju. They're called Jaegers and they may save us all. And then we get to see some robots being built and, you know, kind of going into action as this reporter says that. All right, we've already got the second bit of information we need. Big monsters called Kaiju, big robots called Jaegers are what the world has to come together to make to fight them. I mean, what are we, like two minutes in, three minutes in? All right. And then we cut to our boys. We got the because there were two of them originally. We got Vinlo Boy and his brother. Uh, I forget Jess's nickname, Danger Jock or something like that. But well, no, she actually was referring to the same person with oh. Vanilla Bro and Cocky Danger Boy. Vanilla Bro and Cocky Danger Boy are the same character. Oh, there. His big brother is the one that dies at the beginning. Right. I want to change that. But let them go out because the whole thing is they go out and they fight a kaiju and it's it's sort of hinted at, but it's not stressed enough. This kaiju is bigger than the others. This was a bad fight. They I mean they went they disobeyed orders and went out deeper into the ocean to save this boat from getting stomped on and left you know, but they they duked it out and they got their butts kicked and the older brother dies. I, for a lot of reasons, want to change that to the younger brother getting it, because I think the older brother would have made for a more interesting character, but we'll get into that later. Point is, is then we can have him go back, instead of just like, you know, he, he manages to walk his Jaeger back onto shore, which is really hard to do with one pilot, and then he just quits and leaves and disappears, and I'm like, why? Like, you should go back and tell them about this Jaeger that was bigger than all the other ones that, you know, killed your brother and you barely defeated, and... In, in that time, he can get summarily discharged for disobeying orders, and then he can go build a wall that's not going to... I mean, they, they have this idea five years later, they've been building this wall to keep the monsters out, even though, again, like I said, in the first the very first attack that comes, they punch through the wall. So, I mean, the wall is useless. I mean, never mind impractical. It's, it's just pointless. But he's working on that so he can... Because that's the only job he can get until they come to recruit him because they need more Jaegers. But that's that's the problem with the movie is that all of the dumb decisions are being made at the five-year-later point after after all the flashbacks information. The, the At the point of 
you know, they feel like they've got a handle on it when they've got the Jaegers and they're winning. And that's when they can go out and be cocky danger guys was when all the higher up should have been making the bad decisions that are now costing them five years later. And that's that's what I want to see. But everything I've described to you could probably happen. It may be on maybe a little over five minutes, but it's definitely not 20 so that we, you know, we can see the title of the movie in under 20 minutes and we can get the ball rolling on what is going to effectively be the actual story. This thing is well over two hours long and it just didn't need to be. Right. I totally agree. Well, I think I think you're right. I think shortening it for the sake of this movie is the way to go. I I kind of like the idea, and I told you this when we watched it, of of making it longer, actually, because there's some things in that that opening, like you said, 20 minutes. I don't think it's actually 20 minutes, but it's pretty long. It's way longer than it should be. There are some things they touch on that I would love to see more of, and it makes me feel like there could have been a movie before this movie that went over a lot of these things, and it maybe ends with them in dire straits and things not looking so good. And that's where this movie would begin when it ultimately finally does start, you know, 20 minutes in, but you're right. I think, I think the whole thing needs to be kind of framed through our main character because by the time we get to him, we don't know what his real relationship is with the events that we've seen. We don't know how he feels about these things. It's just all happened in front of us. We assume he's sad because his brother's dead. But here's, I want to touch on what you just said there. Relate things around our main character. The bo- the guy we saw, the older brother, younger brother, doesn't matter. Our vanilla boy doesn't need to be the main character. He needs to be the mentor to the main character, which should be Mako. The new girl coming in, wants to drive a Jaeger. She probably looks up, which she technically does in the movie, look up to him. It's because they're kind of close in age. There's sort of a suggested romance between them, which is just weird. It's so weird because I don't, I, I felt no romantic chemistry between the two of them the entire film. And then, you know, I guess we should have plugged spoiler at the beginning of this already. But at the very end, they're they're like kissing on the, the Jaeger, aren't they? I, I think I don't remember them actually kissing. They're always just very close to each other. They're always just I don't know. It, it, it's 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 awkward. That's what I mean. It's awkward. Like you can't tell if she's just like looks up to him or admires him or if she's like into him because we get a lot of him like shirtless with muscles when you know she doesn't know she's looking kind of scenes. And I'm just like, so are they supposed to be a thing? I scratch all that. She needs to be the focus. Like once we get into present day, like he leads us through the backstory takes us through the flashback once we get to present day five years later bang she needs to go searching for him like she did with idris elba she needs to be like the the main character the focus that we're seeing now we're now following her story and when she sees him he serves as a mentor capacity because we know his backstory he was there when the first one attacked he lost his brother again if it's a younger brother then i I assume someone who he kind of like relates to her like she's eager she's you know maybe a little bit too gung-ho and he's having to relive that challenge Ah. again but we're seeing it from her perspective so she doesn't know that and she's got she's just trying to prove herself i mean a lot of it's a lot of what i'm saying happens in the movie it's just not focused on and i'm like yeah like i'm not writing a new script here i'm not that clever i'm just taking what i saw and focusing on the bits that were interesting yeah now, I I cannot agree with you more that she is the more interesting character in this movie, hands down. And that's saying something when she's 
kind of barely featured in the movie. I don't know. That's not fair. She's in this movie and she has her scenes, but her scenes I think are the most interesting. Like I love when we finally got, you know, when she's in the drift and she gets stuck in her memory and we kind of see her as a little girl and get more of her story. I was like, see, this is fascinating. This is interesting. This is compelling more of this. But again, the whole movie's framed through uh rally through vanilla boy <laughs> and he's just not that interesting as of a main character to like hang your whole story on yeah I, and here's another thought what if so I've, I've been knocking this whole like kind of Iceman maverick fight between the aussie and vanilla boy what if he has that whole problem with mako maybe he doesn't not like vanilla boy too he's a washout and he can't cut it but he's giving her crap because she's a noob and she's never driven a jaeger before and you know simulators aren't the real deal and that sort of thing and like that's where that connection has it has the whole like well girls can't drive jaegers kind of thing you know feel to it but she's actually going to be badass once she gets into it we get to watch her kind of get dunked on so I, I think that would be a much better conflict than just two muscle bros. Like, you're a wild card and I can't trust you. It's like, whatever, leave me alone. You don't understand. And then, oh, fighting. <laughs> I have no, muscles. I like that a lot. I, have muscles. I like that so much. Mm-hmm. That's way more compelling, way more interesting. And it's all in there. It would it would take just, it's like you said, if somebody had just taken like the draft that Gilmo had written and said, no, 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 let me just move this. He's yeah, I want to rearrange some things and I mm-hmm. want to kind of shift a few focus points and then, you know, because otherwise there's so much there. There's so much on the screen that that's totally workable. You know, if this is the house that we're redoing, then there's plenty worth saving in it. But the foundation is is a problem and we got to fix that foundation fix some of the framework. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise you've got some good some Good paint on the walls. <laughs> the movie, yeah, right. Well, because the, the the problem is the movie's drawing attention to the wrong parts of itself, and yeah. we need to bring to light the good bones of this movie. Totally agree. Well, I I don't know. I feel pretty happy with what we've come up with here. Do you? How are you feeling? No, I think that's a great fix. I would like to go ahead and acknowledge that I have seen the sequel, and the sequel did a couple of things um, that I that address what I complained about. One of them is they diversified the look of the, the Kaiju. Remember we were saying like, especially in that last fight underwater, I think there were four. I couldn't tell you how many Kaiju there were. You and I were genuinely trying. We weren't even like half-assed. We were genuinely trying to keep up with how many Kaiju were involved. And it was, it was really hard. I, I still don't love the number we came up with. I'm not entirely sure. They they fixed that in the second one. Uh, there are a lot more fights in broad daylight, a lot more uh, unique kaiju with unique abilities. Um, and the Jaegers get more creative as well. They get some, like, because I was thinking, I know at the end of the first one, uh, Gypsy Danger whips out her arm sword, and that's cool. Gypsy Danger's the main Jaeger. But I was like, man, why don't they have, like, a million weapons like that? Like, it's got, like, a cannon and an arm sword, but, like, all of them should have, like, rockets, cannons, arm swords, maces, you know, just get crazy with this stuff. And in movie two, they do that. Uh, movie two also has a much more interesting protagonist or protagonist because it follows two of them. You've got John Boyega, who's the son of Idris Elba, and he's sort of like... They think the threat is gone after movie one. So he's sort of like, the world's kind of still screwed up from all this. I'm just I'm just living for me. But he used to be a really good Jaeger pilot. And you've got 
um, the girl who is really good at, she built her own mini Jaeger and now she's got, instead of getting arrested, I mean, she got arrested, but they indoctrinated her into the program and that was cool. And we kind of follow her having to work with a team now. And those, those things are interesting. The, the problem with the movie was, is it, it was almost just too bland in number two. I'm saying this cause I don't think we'll get into it. Number two was a very paint by numbers. It did a lot of things right, but nothing good or original or creative. Like you saw in one, one had all these neat, interesting things. It just used them wrong. Versus two was extremely streamlined, extremely predictable. It didn't do anything wrong, but it didn't do anything like rememberable. And Oh, fun fact. I don't even know if vanilla boy is brought up. Mako comes back they mentioned Idris Elba because, spoiler alert, he dies at the end of the first one. But Vanilla Boy, I don't even think they say his name. They don't even acknowledge that he was a pilot. <laughs> I think you told me when you – when because I, I, I remember you were watching that when you were here in St. Louis with me. And I came in about halfway through it. I think you mentioned then that they mention his name because, like, she mentions his name, I think. Mako or Mako or whatever they call her. Mm-hmm. Maybe but I think they, they, they just mentioned his name once. Yeah, you think the guy that is basically the the last one to come out of the fight that sealed the rift that saved the world of Kaiju would at least get a nod in the second movie? If he did, it was so quick I didn't catch it. And wow. I was just like, that just shows how useless and boring his character was and needed to be something else. I I like my older mentor, kind of the, he's he's got just enough fight left in him for one more round against the kaiju kind of guy. Like that, that was fun, or that would have been fun. Like he's got to mentor Mako so that she doesn't get herself killed like his little brother did, you know, kind of thing. It Yeah, I like that a lot more. Way more stakes. But yeah, I just, I wanted to nod to two for doing some things better that we, that we touched on here because... It was it was definitely a much prettier one in the sense that the, I don't know the designs were better, and they and they got close to everybody. Like when they're in the Jaegers, you got to see their faces and see them react and kind of do the yeah punch and you know stuff like that. <laughs> nice. Well, um, did you have a did you have a a pitch for our our um, our new movie? I think I kind of did it. I, I've got my, I kind of read out my intro for the beginning where we kind of do reporters just giving you the information while we see montages of this stuff. I mean, like, clips of the Jaegers in action, of the Kaiju in action. We're told everything a lot faster. Um, otherwise, yeah, we just, we, once we come out of the, the re, not the recap, but the, the world building, we need to follow Mako. We need to slowly learn her story. Our main guy from the world building, Vanilla Boy, needs to be a mentor. He needs to kind of, this is, again, like his last ride. Like, he's fighting his demons while she's trying to prove herself. And and if we focus on that and just give all of these other great characters and Jaegers they made just a little bit more play, mm-hmm. you know, let them do some stuff. Let them have a fight where, you know, Mako is in it, like, like has an early fight where she, because she does try to get in a Jaeger and it all goes to crap, but maybe one where they get out there and her and dude don't do so well, so the other Jaegers have to show up and, like, show off, and we get to see what they can do for a little bit. Let those characters talk to them. I mean, we never heard from the Russian pilots. We never heard from the Chinese pilots. Like, they looked like cool characters. They had cool suits and faces, and I wanted them to say words and have personalities, but they just didn't. 
And I really yeah, I totally agree. I mean, speaking I, so speaking of characters that just didn't get enough time, uh, another gripe I had with this movie, and I remember feeling this really strongly the first time I watched it, early in the movie, I'd say like about a third of the way in, perhaps, um, when Idris Elba's given like the full tour of the facility and introducing all the Jaegers, he points out um the like old school t- he says it's the last of the t90s it's the mark one like he points out that one really old jaeger and they just there's there's such a moment that like we hang on that that i fully expected that jaeger to show up later in the film and like be a part of the story and it, it looked like Chekhov's gun but yeah it was just so frustrating because like I don't know. From a again, a storytelling perspective, why are you gonna why are you gonna take spend so much attention on an element that never comes up again? They probably wanted to. I'm sure there was a version of the script that had a moment where Idris Elba hopped in that thing and like saved the day real quick. In a scene like I'm describing, where Gypsy Danger is out there and Mako and Vanilla Boy get into trouble, and he's got to come bail him out because he's the only other pilot to ever run a Jaeger. By, for, himself. by himself for any matter of time other than Vanilla yeah. Boy. And so he has to like come in there and do that. And he's also run it so many times. That's the other thing I almost forgot. He's dying, we figure out, because he's he's just run too many missions. And that neural link screws with your your brain after a while. And yeah. it's part of why, you know, because he saved Mako when she was really young and he wanted to, you know, he's taking care of it. It's part of what, the reason he doesn't want her involved. Not just because a giant kaiju will probably melt her face, but because... You know, the end game result of this is sacrifice, and he didn't want that for her. But which, again, if we focused on that just a little more, could have been memorable and driven home. Yep. And and if he went out and say did that one run, and you know saved them because she was being cocky or wasn't listening or whatever, like that could have like ex- exacerbated his his whole condition and the consequences and the feels and just there were no feels. Every, anybody who died, I was just like, there are no feels because I don't know you. You're, 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 na- you're, you're a number. You're just like, oh, we lost that Jaeger. Oh, we lost that Jaeger and pilots. Yep. We've said it before on this show. You've got to establish relationships, not just between your characters, but between your characters and the audience. And if you don't establish those things, then it doesn't really matter if you establish risks or not. Or not no one's going to care. Mm-hmm. But you kind of need both of those things. You've got to have a relationship with your characters from an audience perspective and you've got to have risks that matter for us to care about anything. And I think that's definitely two things that this movie lacked and there's such, there's such important elements of a good movie. Yeah. You know, and I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of getting myself hyped up right now because I love our idea and this really like, I love all the resources in that movie. I just want to remake it. It's, it's, it's driving me nuts right now. It's like, Oh, this could have been so good. (laughs) Well, Tone, that's I think that's our fix. That's our solid fix for Pacific Rim. You feeling good about it? I am. I'm I'm glad we did this one. I know it's a, a bit of an older movie, but I'm I'm really glad we we dug into this. Yeah, it was a fun one. It was a fun one because this is an example of a movie that's not so abysmal that fixing it feels like you got to tear the whole thing down and rebuild the whole damn thing. It feel it feels like this is a fixable movie. Yes, most definitely. I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro. He's amazing. This just sure. This just kind of went off 
it, it just it sort of missed the marks, unfortunately. Like I I would see anything he does just because I think he's got a wonderful imagination and is a brilliant just like movie aficionado. But but yeah, you can't you can't win them all. Can't win them all. Well, Tony, we want to go ahead and reveal the next property that we're sending Jess after. Oh yeah, this was your idea, and I'm actually really psyched about it. My Blu-ray copy of this is coming in the mail. Yeah, ours, uh, mine came in a little while back, and we've uh, Jess and I already watched it, so I'm excited for you to get on top of it and us get down to talking about it. Uh, we are going to be doing. You want me to just go ahead and say? Or yeah, 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 do it. Uh, we are doing Waterworld. Um, <laughs> I know, right? That's the response that I get out of a lot of people when I say that. Uh, we picked Waterworld because it definitely falls into the purview of the movie fixers. Um, I even before I rewatched it recently, everything I remember about it just begged for a movie fix because it's got so much going on for it. It's got great, um, it's got a great premise. It's got really elaborate production design. It's got a, a you know decent cast. Has a lot going on for it, but it's generally considered one of the biggest flops of all time and um i don't know we don't want to get into it too much here but i'm excited to talk about this one this one's going to be a fun episode so i can speak because i have not watched this uh, since i was much younger probably since when it first came out to video and i will say this i remember liking it as a kid like i don't remember a lot about it i know in the beginning he filters his own pee uh on his little boat through a a Mm -hmm filter thingy that always sticks out so, yep. so he can drink his pee water and and uh dennis hopper plays a crazy bad guy and uh-huh. uh it's all coming back to me now like they think that like there is no land but they he, they think he's been to the place been to land because he's always bringing in dry dirt because dirt is a commodity and mm-hmm. But really, he just has gills and because he's a mutant and goes underwater and scoops it up and dries it up. Yeah, it's all coming back. I think I remember liking this movie. It'll be really interesting to see how it holds up and what I say in the next podcast if I feel the same. Yeah, I, I don't want to go into it anymore. But I will say this. If you're listening and you want to watch this movie before our next episode, um, it is available on... The theatrical version is available on iTunes. It's also available on Amazon Prime. I don't think it's streaming for free anywhere. Um, but you can, I know you can also pick up in certain places like a cheap DVD of it. Uh, but the main reason that we kind of picked this out is there was an article recently about a Blu-ray remaster re-release of Waterworld, including both the uh, European TV cut and the Ulysses cut, which is the even longer 40 minutes added into the movie with... Um, uncensored like the whole nine yards and we were like you know what let's let's give Waterworld a go and uh i'll just say this i was not disappointed in my viewing experience and i'm excited to to talk about this one in the next episode that's great so matt um just in that vein is there anything you want to recommend to our user user users listeners (laughs) before we go anything you've seen hmm man i haven't been watching a lot of stuff lately that's not you know, movie fixers related. I've just been kind of busy. Um, I watched a lot of the like Oscar nominees before the Oscars recently. And I did really like green book. It's the movie that won best picture this year. Uh, there's a lot of controversy around it that I won't get into, but I, I genuinely liked the movie. Um, I liked 
all the Best Picture nominees that I saw this year. It was a pretty good spread. None of them stood out to me as being particularly better than the others. So I was kind of like, I don't care who wins. They're all they're all good. I like them all. They did a good movie. And you've been reading a comic book that you've been telling me about. Oh, there you go. Good call. Good call. So I've been watching Buffy uh, the last several months for the very first time. Uh, I'm in season six now, and I'm, I've become a, a Buffy head. Or what, what do we call Buffy fans? What's the name for us? I, Scooby gang? Yeah, sure. I think you're more just a Whedonite. You like all things Whedon. For sure. I mean, I've been a Whedon fan for a while, but I, I kind of, I'm really late to the game on Buffy, but I've been really enjoying it. And Boom Comics, uh, just last month or the month before, just released a new comic series that's a reboot of Buffy. So it's like, it starts all the way back, just like the show did with her first day at Sunnydale, Sunnyvale high school. Um, but the difference is it's set in 2019. So it's like a full reboot with all these characters you already know, but it's set in the present day and certain characters that in the show, you don't meet till much later in the series are already incorporated right away. Uh, there's some lovely, uh, references to the original series while also being kind of a new and different thing um two issues are out right now it's a lot of fun by the time you listen to this the third issue i think should be out uh check out your local comic book store there's so many i think everyone assumes that aren't comic book people that comic books are just like x-men and wolverine and don't get me wrong like those are comics that are good and they've been around for a while for a reason but there's comics for all kinds of things there's lots of of unique properties that aren't based on a TV show or movie. But, you know, I know a lot of people really liked the chilling adventures of Sabrina that was on Netflix recently. That's based on comics from back in the day. And they actually have a brand new comic book series based on that show. So I think in the world of comic books, you can agree with me. There's something for everyone. Like you walk into a comic book store. I challenge you to not find something that you'd find interesting. Absolutely. And I would encourage that you walk into a physical comic book store and you talk to someone working there because they will show you all sorts of great gems you've never seen. Oh, my God. They're nerds. They're total nerds. You tell them, like, what do you like to watch? And they're going to be like, have I got the comic for you? That's what they're there because they love it. Mm -hmm. They're not there because they're getting paid one hundred thousand dollars a year. They love comic books. That's why they're there. Talk to them. Get recommendations. Find something special. Absolutely. So what about you? Yeah, I brought uh, I'm bringing something a little bit more related to what we just uh, fixed there in my research for Pacific Rim. I learned of a YouTube channel called Dumb Drum. That's D-U-M-B-D-R-U-M. These guys make videos. They make sweeted videos of uh, movie trailers. So Sweeted, um, if you're not familiar, there's a movie called Be Kind Rewind where they have, uh, it's like kind of a, an old part of town where they have a it's video It's not shop. a movie, Tony. It's a masterpiece. It really is. I love this movie. <laughs> Jack Black and uh, Mostef and uh, Danny Glover. And what happens is Jack Black accidentally erases all the VHS tapes in this little mom and pop movie rental store. So they take an like a, an old VHS camcorder and remake ev- all the movies using whatever they can around the house, uh, you know, just, just to put it together and everybody in the Cardboard neighborhood sets, Christmas lights, aluminum foil, mm-hmm. like 
all that. And everybody in the neighborhood loves them, and they keep wanting them to do more movies. We're like, oh, well, they're coming from Sweden, so it takes a while. So that's like their secret for why these movies are like, why they're only slowly cranking out these movies. But that became like the thing is you, you the movie is sweeted when you basically remake it with no budget. Well, an entire YouTube channel called Dum Drum has done that. And one of the movies they did was Pacific Rim. Guillermo del Toro saw it because they do trailers, not the movie. So they'll do it for movies that haven't come out. Guillermo del Toro saw it, loved it, and brought them out to see the uh, the uh, first screening of the film. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. I didn't know about that. Yeah. He like he mentioned it in a, in like a magazine interview and then later on found them and brought them out. And I just thought that is great. So I, I, I watched the Pacific Rim, one, which is beautiful. Uh, it's it's a little bit higher budget than doing it all out of your home. You can tell at one point they've got like a studio to at least put on the cart, like to put some lights around when they want to like dress up as cardboard monsters and robots. But everything else is just like anybody could do this. It's, it's awesome. And I watched the one for Captain Marvel, which was really great. And I, oh, I can't wait. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. I uh, I, I want to watch a lot more, but I'm, I'm pacing myself. The second thing I want to recommend is sort of in the vein of like kind of Japanese anime style based movies. And I, I recently saw Alita Battle Angel and it's not the most amazing film you'll ever see, but I was really, really skeptical going in, especially with the trailers. And I was pleasantly entertained. I I liked the movie overall. Uh, I liked the effects. I liked the story. There is even a romance in it, and I'm always I I agree with the the quote that uh, Dan Harmon, uh, story writer, said that that romances are basically just the condiments of story. Like it's like if you watch a romance film, it's kind of like eating ketchup. And Lord knows I've eaten my share of Chick Fil A sauce out of the out of the tub, but. But like a romance that I felt it was a bit teeny, but at least it was earned. Like they didn't just, oh, I see you. I see you. We're in love. Like there was a little bit of effort made and uh, some ballsy choices. No spoilers at the end of the movie. So huh. I would. Uh, I, I don't want to get into it right now because we're we're at the hour mark and we need to wrap things up. But I did not like Alita and like and I mean, not a little bit. I did not like Alita. That's so funny. Uh, the the other thing I was going to say is I think performances saved what was a bland script, but it was performed very well, so it was enjoyable. That I can agree with. Um, yeah, Christoph Waltz is really really good in it. I don't know. Let's let's not get into it here. This might be a fun thing to try and encourage some conversation uh, in the comment section. So if you like, we we always want to hear from you guys what you think about. Pacific Rim and the movie that we do in this episode. But if anybody's seen Alita, I think this would be a fun thing to kind of get a conversation going about. Definitely. All right, Tone. Well, I think that is the end of our episode for the day. Do you want to go ahead and give our audience the credits? Oh, yeah. Credits for 2019 Movie Fixers. I am your host, Tony. With me always is Matt, my co-host. Your executive producers are Hayden Smith and Chrissy Faith. The intro, our property scout, brought to you by Jess Aducci, and she's doing a fabulous job with that. We love her for that. And houseaducci.com. Yep. That's H-O-U-S-E-A-D-D-U-C-C-I.com. Yeah, and we'll put that in some notes or something somewhere on this podcast. And also, the artwork you see is provided by Nick Aducci, who was on our last episode, uh, The Buck Stops Where, where we talked about what... 
what roles are responsible for when a movie goes wrong and why. I recommend... That was a fun episode. I really liked that one a lot. Yeah, I recommend checking that out. Uh, I, I think we came out with a good message at the end of that one. I was really happy with our... The more critical you get, the more options you have to enjoy good things. Like, you find more that way. Most people think being critical means you can't like anything, and that's just not true. It means that you... Nope. I think it augments your enjoyment. Mm-hmm. It makes it even better. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us this week. We will see you in two weeks for another great episode of Movie Fixers featuring the movie Waterworld. Tone, thanks for being here today. As always, you are awesome. Oh, thanks, Mike. You're the best. We'll see you guys later. Bye.